0: Hello, welcome to the Game People podcast. Each week, we take a particular video game, some writers from the website, and have a good old chat.
1: Come and join the
0: gang of reviewing artisans See it from every angle This week, we're looking at Alan Wake on the Xbox 360, and I've got with me Mark Clapham and Alex Beach.
1: We're anecdotal Hardcore, casual, personal. and someone just like you. We're gang
2: people.
1: So before we look at Alan Wake in detail, let's introduce who we've got here today. Uh, I'm Mark Clapham. I write the Story Gamer column on Game People and I'm a fiction writer and that's my background and, um, on Game People. I write about stories in games.
2: Hi, I'm Alex Beat. I write the Scare Gamer column for Game People and I picked up a an interest in fear and kind of panic and things when I was studying psychology. So uh, I've stuck with it and brought it through to my love of gaming as well.
0: So Alan Wake's probably right up your street. And there's, and there's so much we could say about it. First things first, how did you find the experience as a whole?
1: Alan Wake has a tremendous tremendous sense of atmosphere and place, I think, is the main thing. There's a sort of wonderful sense of loneliness to it, of running through the American wilderness, of a panic, of uh, being lost late at night, that sort of really struck me and stayed with me in a funny way. I mean, you spend a lot of time, you know, your character spends a lot of time on his own in sort of these quite isolated locations. It's not being trapped in a haunted house or any obvious sort of horror cliché. It's a very convincing world and the very sort of beautifully portrayed world that you're in, sort of small-town America, really. And it was the atmosphere of place that stayed with me more than even the sort of the characters or the story. It was a place I was interested in in visiting.
0: So as a sort of a like a survival horror-type game, what makes Alan Wake different? to the oh, Resident Evils and the more typical horrors. I'd say it definitely
2: isn't a survival Ooh. horror game. I mean, yeah. I, just jumping in with that, because, I mean, I, I love survival horror, and, and I, I love Alan Wake, but I do think it's a very a different kind of game. I, I always consider survival horror more like, and I love this analogy because it's such a clear one, Alien, which was this kind of slow, creeping, dread, and then managing whatever you've got to try and survive, Hmm. compared to Aliens, where they've gone in fully equipped and prepared for trouble, they're still, because they can't see what they're fighting, they're struggling to fight it, but it's still far more action-orientated. So I think Alan Wake is far more that second kind of action-based. We can see what we're, we're fighting, but there's so many of them, and we don't quite understand them, that we're still scared and it's always hard to make it to their safety. It's always just beyond reach.
0: Yeah, and you get that sense of you are actually quite well equipped, which is something the game almost apologises for a, a few times. Like, oh, why would these flares be here? Isn't that convenient? But actually, that worked quite well. It's sort of, as you pick up more and more weapons, it's like, oh, something's definitely coming up in a bit that I'm going to have to really deal with because I've, I've been given all this firepower.
1: Survival horror games, you're very much playing a sort of long game of uh, preserving your ammo resources and things like that. Whereas I think the difference with Alan Wake is it's, it's built around these short dashes for safety, mm. so it does something which no other survival horror does, which is that you have complete health recharges fairly regularly. Whenever you hit a pool of light, you're completely cured, rather than letting you carry your weapons and things over between levels as well. Every time you go back to the daytime, you lose everything, and you start again. <laughs> So it's less about that long sort of sustained, gruelling battle mm. that you get in Resident Evil and more about these uh, the sort of uh, balance between these sort of quieter moments and having these little, very intense bursts of action where you're running through the woods in the dark and you're desperately trying to get to the next safe point.
0: That's interesting. I'm not someone who plays many of these games. Like, I've not played through um, any Resident Evil title, actually. But there's something about Alan Wake that... I did latch onto in a different way and maybe it's that you have these short bursts of something unmanageable but then you get to the light and you can sort of regroup. It doesn't have that sense of being overwhelmed which I get. Say I'm watching a horror film I don't necessarily like them because I don't particularly want to be overwhelmed and with Alan Wake um, I could sort of manage (laughs) how much how much of the horror I actually sort of dealt with in one burst.
2: Like you said mark they take away all of your ammo all of your weapons at the beginning of every kind of level but they always have an excuse for it like like you say the kind of manageable chunks is broken up into as well it works well into the the fiction of the world which is it is book chapters it's alan's book is coming to life he he puts the ammo there for himself whether he's aware of it or not as you're actually going through the game (laughs) the kind of very rote constructed sense of where everything's lying for you along your path it can be very false. It can be very made up because he's, he's not really a very good writer. He's making everything for his own convenience within the game.
1: It's also, the oddity of it is you have the sort of, I mean, the two world thing, the mm-hmm. thing of flipping between two worlds is most familiar from Silent Hill. But in Silent Hill, even in the real daytime world, you still have monsters and you still have guns. The difference with Alan Wake is that it's just completely, it would be completely ridiculous for him to be walking around this quiet tourist town uh, with a shotgun. Everything is very, very normal yeah and it's a bit Uh, such a relief when you come out out of the night some of the most fun moments of it for me are just the the daytime sections where you're just you know it's this, it's this lovely little holiday where you're driving around the <laughs> yeah. mountains and I really enjoyed the town of uh, Bright Falls very familiar to um, me I think because one of my favorite tv programs is Twin Peaks and it's this very similar sort of American uh, former logging town very picturesque in the mountains with uh, surrounded by woods and lakes idyllic you know the daytime sections are, are sort of very idyllic and although there's a supernatural element to it it does play on this idea that the American wilderness can seem very beautiful in a place you'd like to be on holiday, but can be very dangerous. Because that's sort of Blair Witch idea. Especially when filled with creepy getting... shadow people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but part of it is just not just the actual monsters jumping out of you, but it's it's the need to go running headlong through the dark. The fact that you don't quite know where you're going, you can very easily get turned around. And it's um it's got some very clever sort of navigational tricks with lights in the distance and things for you to follow to give you a path in particular stages like the section where you're being pursued by the police you can't even really see where they are you can just hear them and there's lights flashing in the distance and you're just trying to get away from them yeah it's great but yeah and it's that it's not a switch between two realities it, it's the same place and the supernatural elements only come in after dark but there is a sense of fret that just comes from it from it being the night time and it, it being you know the fact that you're running through the middle of nowhere in night I mean, yeah, there, I think
2: there are sections there that you don't even have the kind of ghostly you, and you're still scared if it's dark. Just the darkness <laughs> is enough to set you on edge, even if you're not being chased in it.
0: And I mean, how did you find it? Was it? Were you genuinely
1: scared, you guy? I mean, I was, but I'm a bit of a lightweight <laughs> when it comes to horror <laughs> games, so I was expecting to. There are some big sort of jump scare moments. There's some very, very sort of uh, good moments as things. Uh, there's some good scares, especially in the Mirror Peak chapter. Mm. But there's also the. Just sort of creeping tension that comes from sort of wandering around these sort of quite desolate little spots in the dark. I mean, I certainly found it creepy. I just was, it was a very different kind of creep
2: to lots of the other survival horror or horror games on the market because you never felt apprehensive really about running into danger. It was always more a kind of, if there was danger there, you'd rather be moving at full speed when you hit it, rather than kind of creeping around the next corner, trying to conserve ammo or go gently into the night, as it were. You were rewarded for a frantic pace of play.
0: It has this history, doesn't it, of being originally an open world game. And we've talked a lot already about the sense of place and how you see things in the distance.
2: When you're actually playing, you need to be looking at the screen because there's there's things all around you and coming at you. And although they they actually do some very nice tricks with the camera work, because when things are chasing you it cuts back to them i think where you really see the uh, kind of open-worldy nature though is all the collectibles dashed in throughout it and i don't know mm-hmm. when they felt that was necessary because it really kind of ruins the game
0: <laughs> yeah i know you didn't like them for, I me mean, for me that did get me out like not just sticking to the path but engaging with the wider environment and i sort of got distracted now and again you see a flashing um flask flasks yeah, yeah. you're going to collect off in the distance and you think oh should i go and get that or should i just carry on towards this the safety of this light ahead and sometimes i made the wrong choice and i was like oh yeah they probably designed it like that didn't they they were waiting for me to make that mistake
2: because it's like they want you to explore more of the environment but at the same time they're driving you on through the level with this kind of fear and because honestly, if I were Alan, maybe the manuscript pages, which are the other collectible in the game that actually unlocks kind of the story and can actually foreshadow what's going to come up later, the thermoses comp- feel completely artificial. And I know it ties into his name, A Wake, and he's drinking lots of coffee. But um, <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. I hadn't got that. That's <laughs> interesting, is that intentional? Oh, A okay. Wake. I think it was intentional. Yeah, yeah, A <laughs> Wake definitely was. Yeah, it's Max Payne and A Wake. The thermoses just—they completely draw your eye away from where you're meant to be going and there's no way Alan in this situation would go looking for coffee. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. (laughs) You know, a lot of games have to have collectibles but in a game that creates such a fantastic sense of place to break it with such an artificial game construct really kind of yeah it breaks it for me it broke a lot of the illusion and a lot of the tension that the game created. My understanding
1: is that the coffee was quite a late edition basically because mm-hmm. they felt that there needed to be more additional stuff to do so they put in some basic collectibles in there and it's kind of a it's a little joke I think on the sort of um, the theme of him being a writer really the idea that he's sort of it's a bit of a cliche the idea of the hack writer fueled on coffee and as a hack writer who does drink a lot of coffee it is quite a true cliche as <laughs> well so yeah,
0: uh, as you described yourself hack
1: writer does <laughs> he have some, <laughs> a,
0: some, some affinity to to alan Wake, the character in the game uh,
1: not really I, I, it's very true that he's sort of very unsympathetic character in many ways and that's obviously deliberate i'm not sure how aware remedy are of what a bad writer alan is i think they think he's quite clever yeah. Um, whereas he's ov- he's obviously quite a terrible writer. If the dark presence is sort of uh, draining human creativity or whatever it's supposed to be doing, why it starts with a sort of really uh, rubbish horror writer? I've it, no idea. But
2: uh, it doesn't start with him. I mean, that's the other part of the game. It's it's taken yeah, lots of it's, people. It's Everybody's insane. Awesome. Asylum is.
1: It's taken lots of people, and it's got an ins- insane asylum with some dodgy 70s rockers and various other extremely odd people. But yeah, Alan is, yeah, he's, he's, he's narcissistic, he's selfish, totally self-absorbed, very ill-mannered. Um, yeah, he's, as a writer, he's an extremely convincing character in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a very nice guy, but he's extremely... I mean, how did you guys find the, the character of the agent, Barry?
0: People. I liked him. A lot of yeah. people were extremely he's a, annoyed by him. Sort of him. buffoon, like, I like actually, sort of a buffoon agent. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, there's a moment with Barry that I absolutely love, where for some reason he ends up getting hold of a Alan Wake advertising sort of standee, like a cutout yeah. of Alan Wake. And there's a scene where he sort of makes him speak and moves him around, and is like, oh, hello, I'm Alan
1: <laughs> Wake. thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought the little touches like that sort of let you in on, oh yeah, this is just a game. We don't have to take it all too seriously.
1: Yeah, and it, it works really well, because you have Barry actually coming up with these jokes while on the other side of the fence, while Alan is doing a quite sort of desperate battle through Garden of the um, Asylum. It actually works works really well. It You know, it doesn't puncture the fact that you have all this sort of jokiness going on just out of reach, effectively heightens the tension of that scene. Captured.
2: It's quite believable as well, that kind of... Oh, I don't want to say gallows humour because it's not quite that, but trying to use humour to break the tension is something that, me included, a lot of people do when that's going on. It's not It's not as artificial as it may at times seem. People do react like that. to.
1: Yeah, and it's, like it's, it's a little sign that they're not taking it as seriously as you could. In a certain light, Alan Wake is an incredibly pretentious game all your sort of very basic meta fiction with stories bleeding into stories and words becoming powerful and yeah. all this stuff about the power, of, the power of creativity and all this stuff so it's quite useful to have a character like barry there who's just sort of very cynically saying oh well, you just need to grow up you're doing this for the money um another thing that i think
0: worked really well which is i think similar to barry although Barry's in on the whole sort of what's happening. The little radios that you can turn on and you hear the radio show host who's not in on the big drama and is like just curious at what's happening in his town and reports that are coming in actually adds, a, for me, a great deal of sort of eeriness. As, you, as I would often pause, you'd find a radio, I'd turn it on and I'd find myself just stop for a couple of minutes listening to it and think, oh, oh, well, no, I can carry on, get on with the game. Um, but you take that with you and there's, it really pinched picture of this community around, rather than just um, following a single person?
1: Yeah, there's a very common experience, whether you're driving or you're on headphones walking somewhere, of listening to that sort of rambling Mm. late-night radio. It certainly used to be a big thing I used to do when I was growing up is listening to that sort of late-night radio when you're in the middle of nowhere. It's 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 sort of lovely touch. Extremely banal conversations you get on local radio phone-ins. about. I believe there's a a conversation very early on about which the most... um, violent dogs in the town and one of them's just called big dog um, especially when you're, you're sort of going to these observatory towers where they've got a few flares and a couple of beds and a radio yeah, and, sort of, and it's just ranger outpost for, yeah the ranger yeah. outpost yeah and it's just a little reminder that these are supposed to be this is supposed to be a a nice little holiday trail uh while you're being sort of chased by the police and uh, these uh, zombie creatures that and watching the flickery sort of black and white tvs now and again Mm. Uh, which yeah, turn really up, is... up. Oh, yeah, they're great. They're sort of, <laughs> absolutely great. The sort of twin peaks crossed with the Twilight Zone. Yeah, the Twilight, yeah, like, horrible like Twilight Zone. Kind
0: of. I didn't like them. <laughs> oh, in did? fact, sometimes I turn them on and think, oh, this is, I don't like this. I want to turn it off. But I think once you've done it, you can't turn it off. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's too scary <laughs> to leave the room well, they
2: weren't particularly scary they were just like really cliched expected unexpected twists if you see what i mean they're just yeah. so
0: <laughs> it's like was it twilight zone or, um, what was there? There, was a, there was a uk one wasn't it um, it
2: was the tales of the unexpected that's it the <laughs> it's <one. the> dancing, <laughs> smoking
0: gun and a dancing lady that's right <laughs> i can't remember the music <laughs> now but... <laughs>
2: that's it yeah
0: yeah, so that, those TVs reminded me of that, and I didn't
2: like it. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. There were, there were a couple on there that I really enjoyed. I wish there were more... This is the thing, like, I wish I'd put more of those in and less damn coffee thermoses.
0: For me, a thing that didn't work so well mm. were the the episodes. And I loved the idea of a video game that had proper episodes, like a TV show, and it ends with a, it's almost like a credits and your finishing song, just like a TV yeah, show. Yeah but they were too long and too unpredictable in how long they'd be for me to actually use them like episodes. Did
2: you? I I found they all came in at about two hours, bit less, an hour and a half.
0: Yeah, well, the first one's quite short, I think. And it's about, I think it's about two to two and a half. Obviously, it depends how quickly you get through it. But um, because I never knew when it was coming, I'd be thinking, oh, should I carry on playing for another half hour, try and hit the end or not? Or I'd hit one halfway through a play session. um, And so I, very rarely got to the end of an episode and thought, yes, I'll stop. Maybe we, you knew how long they were going to be, or if they were always the same length or something like that. It would well, have actually worked much better for me. It's hard um, to
2: judge if it's always the same length, because I, I, there were some levels where I would die mm. quite a lot, and that does extend your playtime <laughs> significantly. <Yeah. laughs> so, I mean, you're in that kind of strange situation where they've got the The last section was very long, comparatively, and it was heavy on the combat, which which was very competent, but perhaps not the game's highlight, because... When it's constantly attacking you, it does lose some of its tension.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's something which I think probably both of you in your reviews have mentioned in terms of criticizing it, that the combat is quite repetitive. Does that, that become a problem at any point?
2: For me, it really became a problem in the, the first piece of the DLC that they released where it was pretty much solely combat comparatively and because it was DLC they were reusing a lot of the game's assets so you didn't really reach any old ground and with the combat throughout that being so repetitive it really started to drag.
0: But you still got through it did you You still finished? Yeah, yeah I finished so the first went, one and then well, because
2: the it. second one was really good and you know it's just a circle I mean you, you start lost in Alan Wake's dreams and you come back to him just getting out of those dreams.
0: Yeah I mean and I remember when they first released it they were talking of oh we're going to sort of release episodes as as we um progress with the fiction but um it seems like that turned into just a couple of pieces of dlc that were really just sort of sort of adjuncts to the main experience rather than actually taking it forward yes
2: i i feel the only way they could have done that was if they committed to making alan wake 2 yeah they should be have. Com- well no be it being completely a long just add on. I don't think they could take you on a journey with DLC and then release an Alan Wake 2. Hmm. I think yeah. that would be. Nice.
0: But I'd be happy with that. Yeah, <laughs> basically, so, I just want more proper Alan Wake. I don't want these sort
2: of well, sidetracks. They, but... they were pulled off doing Alan Wake DLC for another project for Microsoft, I believe. Talking to the expanded story, did you look at the um, videos that they released? The, the preamble to Alan Wake?
1: No, name. I no, I haven't so I, I I saw that they were there. I haven't watched you, them. But...
2: They're an interesting little story that are about a different character who's also trapped in Bright Falls, and it's worth a quick dabbling. I think there's six of them, and you're a reporter who goes in and you're trying to find out what's been going on. And it just goes through this whole thing, and then at the end of it, this isn't a spoiler really, because it's it's just tying it into the game. You you meet Alan Wake driving into Bright Falls. <laughs> nice. So yeah, that brings it all together.
0: So that would be quite a good setup. If you mm. ha- if you hadn't played it to watch those first, yeah is that yeah the idea? yeah, yeah. Pre- which um is interesting. Cause do you think Alan Waite would be a good game if you if you weren't used to playing video games? Do you think it'd be something you could cope with, and do you think it'd be something that would be well suited to someone who's not a regular gamer?
1: got Quite a, I think if you'd never played games at all, it's got a quite standard. You need to be quite good with the controller. It's not. It gets a, difficult, doesn't it? It's not a sort of um, Wii type thing where you can you know, it, it's not sort of left, right, up, down, simple control system. I think you need to be, you know, you you are actually sort of having to be quite agile with Alan as a character and, and switch between your weapons inventory quite quickly.
2: It's a tough one because it does require some knowledge of gaming. I mean, you need to be confident and comfortable with the two analog sticks. And it does get quite difficult. But on easy, I think that most, even like fairly casual gamers, assuming they have and affinity with the controller. We'll be able to play through it. I just think that maybe the subject matter you read, I think you'd have to be into the kind of hack fiction that the game pastiches all the way through. Mm. It's that kind of comedy and bad horror writing that is really what makes sets the game apart. Yeah, which is interesting Um, because
0: you're not, um, oh, someone will enjoy this if they're good at video games or someone will enjoy this if they like video games. It's more, oh, this would be a good experience if somebody likes these sorts of films or these sorts of stories, which I think is quite an unusual thing to say.
2: I think sometimes you could say you could be put off by something in a game if you don't like it. I mean, you know, something like Dead Space 2, if you don't like scary things, you might not want to play Dead Space 2. But to actually come at it from an angle where this is definitely worth playing if you have an interest in the subject matter as opposed to gaming... Is an interesting approach.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I think Limbo, which we just recently talked about, had similar elements. That it's a very sort of prescriptive experience that reminds people of Metropolis and films like that. Um, mm. I think if you had, if I had a friend who was really into those sorts of films, I'd definitely be. You'd have got to sit down and play Limbo. So, and that's. I think that's quite a, a valuable thing that video games can sort of bring to the table. And they don't usually get that message out because a lot of these experiences are well locked away in Xbox <laughs> or an XBLA download and there's just loads of people I know who would enjoy it but it's, they're never going to get a 360 and they're never going to get a subscription which means they can
1: you know access some of this content a lot of games are quite rightly accused of sort of being adolescent male fantasies and I don't think anybody really has a sort of, anybody really fantasizes about being Alan Wake he's a bit of a, a shabby mess but I think that's actually you know, quite identifiable. His um, his wife is attractive, but she's not this sort of ridiculous, inflated sort of pin-up character as well. I think it's actually quite accessible to a mainstream audience in that respect. It, I don't I think, think it's sort of pandering to a young male audience in a way that something like, say, you know, Gears of War is. I think He's it's actually, mature in a very real sense of the word
2: mature in that respect. Yeah. Like, believable real characters and, you know, a real kind of... He has a yeah. real relationship with his wife. It's yeah. not yeah, yeah. It, it, they don't expect you to believe that it's based she's not an object of sex or desire it's she, he needs her you know she's seen him through a lot of hard times and it's that kind of attachment he has with her yeah. it's
0: almost a relief that there's a game that you know, finally doesn't that no other games do it but just to have another game which does have something relatively grown up to say <laughs> it's just like oh that's nice isn't it
1: why don't we do that more often it's not the sort of last word in literature in terms of plotting, it's still a sort of schlocky horror story. Although as Alex says said earlier, it's you know, it sort of justifies that in the course of it being Alan's schlocky horror story that's bleeding out into the real world. But yeah, it, it does have a certain maturity to it, and I I, I think in that respect it's 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 a game that I don't think people would be embarrassed by yeah i think that's the it's key thing. Easy it's a game that it. grown-ups can grown-up, yeah. grown-ups can play which is is not aimed sort of primarily at children and not aimed primarily at adolescents either i think that's mm-hmm. one of the more appealing qualities of it
0: so there you go there's plenty of stuff to think about if you've not played it it's really worth getting to the end and just enjoying the whole experience and please play it because i want a sequel and there's no way yeah. it's going to happen at the moment don't buy it <laughs> We're out of time now, though. If you want to keep up with us before the next podcast, you can do that on the website at www.gamepeople.co.uk. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gamepeople, or follow us on Twitter at game underscore people. So until next time. Bye bye. Goodbye. was recorded for gamepeople.co.uk. The editor and producer was Andy Robertson.